Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the official MTG Goldfish podcast, episode three. I have with me here Richard of MTGGoldfish.com, as you know him, Saffron Olive, or Seth, and your host, myself, Chaz Volpe. We are going to be talking about a lot of stuff today. Uh, some big news happened in the world of MTG, specifically Modern, with the ban and restricted announcements, which happened on the 19th, uh, Monday. So... A lot to talk about. We also have some MTG fish mail things to cover, and we will also be talking about some Fate Reforged limited uh, experiences that Richard has had uh, over the past weekend, so uh, that should be interesting. But yeah, we're mostly going to cover the BNR announcement stuff, a lot of stuff to talk about. You can also read more on a couple articles that myself and Saffron have posted, so if you want to read those as well, you can take a look at those. So we're just going to jump right into the Fate Reforged pre-release stuff. So Richard is going to be talking about his experiences with the limited format. So I'm just going to open it up to Richard. Oh, and hello, Seth and Richard. How are you guys doing? Doing good. <laughs> All right. So Richard, what, what do you think of the Fate Reforged limited format? Yep. So uh, apparently I'm the only one hardcore enough to play the pre-release this weekend. <laughs> uh, I actually went to the midnight release, and uh, it was actually one of the best pre-releases I've been to, I don't know, maybe since forever. So really? they, they changed things up. They gave you four packs of Fate Reforged this time, so you, you basically got to play with all new cards. And, um, you know, I opened a, a sick Mardu deck. Flame Rush Rider, Alessio Smiles at Death, Dragon Scale General... Mardu Strike Leader, Grim Haro Specs, uh, wow. Mardu Charms, Heal Cutters. It was actually like a block-constructed deck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds solid. Cards that really stood out. So, you know, when we sat down and just took a look at the cards, you know, we, we had a feeling that some cards would be strong, but when I played with them, like, some cards are absolutely bonkers. And uh, so one card is Battle Brawler. He's the 2-mana uh, 2-2, two two, and he gets plus 1, plus 0, oh, and first strike, if you have a red or white permanent, he's pretty much a two to cast three two first strike. And, you know, that's just absolutely crazy. And it's really hard to deal with them. Heel Cutter is another, you know, awesome card that I saw. Four to cast three two. When it attacks, target creature can't block. And it has a dash of three. It absolutely screws up combat. The underpowered body is not a problem because they can't block anyway. So, you know, I want a lot of games off the back of those two cards. And uh, the, the other thing I wanted to point out was how powerful Manifest was. Like, it is so incredibly hard to play around. When they have a 2-2 on the field, you have no idea what it is. Uh, it could, you know, it could be anything. They could flip up at any time. So it's actually, like, really hard to play around. And it's just a really powerful card, a really powerful ability. And, you know, I suspect we'll be seeing a lot of Manifest and Standard. I think it's going to be a thing. Do you think the Manifest ability is that powerful to transfer over? Because how does that work with, like, Limited? Doesn't that make certain cards, like, like certain cards where they're morph is so much more, uh, does that make certain cards, like, more viable? I, I don't know if it makes more viable, but it just basically makes every combat trick available. Like, if right. your opponent has five mana open and they have a 2-2 two, two manifest there, like, it's a lose-lose for the attacker, right? It could be anything. It could be a land, it could be a 3-5, it could be a 5-5, five, five, like, who knows, right? So it actually just makes things really tricky. Yeah. So, in standard, specifically, uh, so Manifest might... I mean, it seemed like there was a lot of support for Manifest. So what do you think specifically? Do you think like a deck could just be constructed around it? 
Is it that good from Limited? Like, I, I don't know if you just want to play, like, Soul Summons. It's a, that's a little awkward. You know, you don't want to just play a Manifest card, but things right. like Whisperwood Elemental that just incidentally give you a Manifest creature, like, that's pretty good, right? That basically reads, like, draw a card, except that card is a 2-2 creature immediately, right? Because at any time, you can just cast it, you know, for its, you know, flip it up for its creature's cost, and then it's just like drawing a card, right? So, you know, Whisperwood Elemental, I think we've started to see price movement on it, but I think people are just starting to realize how powerful Manifest is, and I think it has places to go. All right, that sounds great. So, um, with that being said... We're going to move into the announcement stuff because I'm sure everyone wants to hear what we have to say, and it's the hot topic of yesterday and probably all of this week and up until the Pro Tour, and everyone's going to be interested in what's going to happen with Modern. There wasn't just Modern changes. Uh, there were a few Legacy and Vintage changes as well. So if you haven't seen the list, uh, just to recap, Modern, Dig Through Time, Treasure Cruise, and Birthing Pod are banned. Golgari Grave Troll is no longer banned. For Legacy, we have Treasure Cruise is banned, and World Gorger Dragon is no longer banned. And Vintage, Treasure Cruise is restricted, and Gifts Ungiven is no longer restricted. So if you haven't seen those, you can check on the official Wizards website, uh, the Magic the Gathering website, uh, Mothership site. So this is huge, right, guys? I mean, this is this is something that Probably wasn't going to be too surprising, but I think a lot of people are taken back by specifically the birthing pod ban. So I'm going to open it up to Seth first. Yeah, I mean, I think it is surprising. I was I was pretty convinced for a while now that Treasure Cruise would get banned. And I had Dig Through Time and Birthing Pod as pretty much coin flips. So I think what's most surprising to me is that all three of them happened at the same time. Like, flipping three coins and having them all come up heads is more unlikely than flipping one or two of those coins and having them come up heads. So, I was surprised, but but not shocked. All these cards were definitely on the radar. Uh, the most surprising thing was probably Grave Troll. Well, I'm sure we'll talk more about that, but uh, I don't think anyone was thinking he was coming off the ban list. Right, and it's certainly interesting because... You know, a lot of people are questioning the Golgari Grave Troll because we already have a couple of dredge enablers already, and people are on the fence about, does eight Sinkweed Imps make any one particular deck better? I mean, we'll see. I mean, certainly the Pro Tour is coming up, and maybe, you know, this is a chance for someone to bring out a graveyard deck that people aren't really going to be able to combat uh, so soon from these announcements, because there isn't a lot of time to test, even in w- even with the pros. Uh, what do you think, Richard? I- initial reactions? Uh, rip Modern? Uh, I-, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I expected Birthing Pod to be banned, just because of Wizards' philosophy of keeping the metagame fresh and the pro tour coming up. They've seriously pissed off a large part of the uh, player base, right? A lot of people love their Birthing Pod. They spent a long time, you know, collecting the cards for Pod. And now they're, not only their, you know, specific deck, but the entire archetype just got invalidated, right? So yeah. for a quote-unquote eternal format, you know, that's, that's not very uh, good news. Yeah, and, and my, you, Seth, and myself were actually talking about this before we casted. Do you think they do this banning if there wasn't a Pro Tour actually scheduled? Definitely not. If there was no Pro Tour, we would still right. have Birthing Pod. This is yep. totally a product that we need to keep things fresh. 
you know, I, Birthing Pod was good, but it wasn't oppressive, right? Like, you would play it, but it's not like, you know, it was dominating the format or anything like that. It, it won a lot, but, it, you know, it wasn't always the clear-cut best deck. So I, I don't see why it needed to go, aside from, you know, I, I want to keep things fresh, right? Yeah, same question to you, Seth. Uh, if there was no Pro Tour, because they weren't actually scheduled and they were added back into the uh, event list because of the community outcry. So what do you think? Uh, banning if there was no Pro Tour? No. I mean, I think Treasure Cruise probably would have gotten banned regardless. But right. I think that, uh, I mean, like you mentioned, this wasn't supposed to be a modern Pro Tour coming up. There weren't supposed to be any modern Pro Tours this uh, this whole year. And when they announced that, there was a lot of backlash from the community, so they kind of begrudgingly put a modern pro tour back on the schedule. So I think we kind of, as a community, uh, backed Wizards into a corner and almost forced this announcement. Like, they want the format to be fresh, and since they have to have a pro tour, they had to do something, and that something was Birthing Pod. Yeah, I I think I'm going to agree with you two also. I don't see them making this big of a commitment to these bands and stripping these cards away from the format if there was no Pro Tour. I, I mean, I don't really think there was a reason to do that if there wasn't, you know, these Pro Tours suddenly back on the schedule. I think it kind of messed up their initial plans because initially they weren't going to have a Pro Tour on the schedule at all. And now all of a sudden people want it on the schedule, but at the same time, they also want the format fresh. So what I, I'm going to absolutely agree with you here. They kind of got backed into a corner, and they needed to make a very drastic decision. And I think we're seeing that decision on paper. I don't know what really we're going to see in the Pro Tour. A lot of graveyard uh, rumblings on social media, and uh, there was a couple of other articles that we're going to get into that were posted. But, yeah, I don't know if we really see anything directly related to Golgari Grave Troll, but... There could be other potential cards that get better because of even the thought of graveyard decks coming, and we'll talk about those too. But yeah, it's just interesting to see that they nailed all three cards at once. So myself and Saffron made an a uh, couple articles about this already, but one specifically we wanted to talk about uh, a kind of list of cards that we thought were going to immediately get impacted by this. So we're going to go into that part of this BNR announcement talk. So initially, right off the bat, what do you think gets better because of these bannings? So, Richard? Um, so initially, what pops to mind are the Jund slash Junk cards. Um, so Jund slash Junk, they, they were, you know, they're mid-range green-based strategies, and they were strong before Birthing Pod and Delver kind of strong arm their way into the format. So cards like uh, Liliana of the Veil, Dark Confidant, you know, the green creatures, Tarmogoyf, I think they'll, they'll put up a strong showing now. Tarmogoyf especially, since you're no longer competing with Treasure Cruise for the Graveyard. Right. So I think we're going to see those cards make a comeback in the format. Yeah, I agree with that. All right, Seth, what, what do you think? Yeah, well, I, I agree with Richard. I think Junk and John definitely get better. I mean, the big problem was with Treasure Cruise, every time a card goes in your opponent's graveyard, it basically creates that uh, uh, Lotus Petal that you can spend on Delve to make your Treasure Cruise cheaper. So things like Liliana and Thoughtseize and Inquisition, they're a lot worse when you're adding a mana to your opponent's Treasure Cruise mana pool every time you cast them. The other deck I think benefits 
along the same lines is control decks like Jeskai Control, because it's really hard for the control decks to keep up with your opponent drawing um, three cards from Treasure Cruise. So when your plan is to one-to-one your opponent to death with things like Lightning Helix and Path to Exile, it's really difficult to keep up with that draw three. So I think both of those decks benefit from yesterday. I'm going to have to agree here too. And we had a extensive list that the three of us have listed. And just to go through them fairly quickly here, and we'll talk about a few more of them a little more uh, so we have Vengevine, Bloodgas, Lotleth Troll, Scavenging Ooze, Graveyard-like anti-hate cards, specifically Rest in Peace, Ground Seal, Leyline of the Void. As Richard mentioned, we have Dark Confidant, Tarmogoyf, Liliana of the Veil, Thoughtseize. We also put on uh, Adelon of the Great Revel. And then we have a few more cards that may or may not be negatively or neutrally affected is cards like Snapcaster Mage, Splinter Twin, Jeskai Ascendancy, and Siege Rhino. So initially, I think the the cards that may... Uh, again, this is going to be a ripple effect, this banning and restricted announcement. So a couple of the cards that may see either a neutral impact or even a slight bump are, are cards specifically Snapcaster Mage, Splinter Twin, Jeskai Ascendancy, and Siege Rhino. So what do you guys think about those particularly? I know... Seth, you mentioned uh, the American control lists, more so Splinter Twin, because that was really popular before the Treasure Cruise was implemented and kind of stuck into modern. So what do you think, Richard? Uh, yeah, so the, the interesting thing is we've never had a time in modern without Birthing Pod, so a lot of people don't know what to expect. I, I expect you know every top-tier deck that we've seen since the inception of modern, people are going to you know have a go at trying to make it better. So you're right. going to see Twin come back. You're going to see, um, you know, UWR Tempo builds, things like Bitter Blossom possibly. We're going to see, it's, it's a wide open format. We're going to see a lot of decks tried to get played. And, you know, we'll yeah. see where it ends up. But I think people will will brew up everything from Modern's history. Yeah, and I think you really nailed it with the Junk slash Jund uh, resurgence because you talked about that as kind of like, you think that's really like a safe kind of choice? You think that's going to be uh, a big part of the meta come Pro Tour? Yeah, definitely. I think the the thing about Jund and Junk lists are they're good stuff decks, right? Like every single card is objectively powerful and every card can win you the game. So when you don't know what's going on, just slamming good card after good card is a pretty safe bet. So I think we'll see a lot of those cards being played, and I think we'll see you know good results, right? If your deck is just all good cards, you're going to win a lot of times. And same question for you, Seth. Yeah, I mean, Snapcaster definitely gets a lot better. Treasure Cruise also kind of pushed that out of the format. I think with Birthing Pod, I was reading a really good article that Huey put out over on Channel Fireball, and one of yep. the things he mentioned is that the banning, the problem with Birthing Pot is it really restricts not only the format, but card design. If you look at a card like Siege Rhino, that's a card that, as we're seeing, can make a new Zoo deck or a new junk, like, mid-range aggro deck. But the problem is, what it really does is just make Birthing Pod better. So instead of spawning new archetypes and opening the formats, when you print a Siege Rhino, it just makes Birthing Pod more efficient. So now I think the format opens up to a lot more aggro in mid-range decks that just weren't as good as uh, Birthing Pod. So I think that was that's one of the biggest benefits is we're going to see Zoo, we're going to see different mid-range and aggro strategies 
that were just good, but not as good as birthing pods. So they weren't the right choice. Willie Jensen definitely agreed with both of you. Yeah, I agree also. So you don't think it's the last time we'll see Siege Rhino, huh? I think Siege Rhino is still going to be sticking around. I think it's one of the things that I saw on Twitter a couple of days ago before the bannings came out is Kai Booty, Buddha, whatever his, uh, the German juggernaut. <laughs> uh, I'm not good with my German name. He, he right. was saying on Twitter that he thought that Siege Rhino was better than Bloodbraid Elf, which is a ridiculously broken card in modern. So he thought that Bloodbraid Elf would probably be safe to unban because people wouldn't play it because they would play Siege Rhino instead. So that's a big vote of confidence from the best player of all time. Yeah, very bold statement. And cards like Jeskai Ascendancy, just to kind of end this list that we constructed for cards that may be affected. So do you think it's the last of Jeskai Ascendancy? What do you think, Richard? I don't know. The, the card is powerful. It has... A lot of text, and it's a very powerful card, but someone needs to find a home for it. So, you know, whether we can find a home for it and make it work is going to be the question. And until we see a list that works, it's just this combo piece that's sitting there that's, you know, in the back of everyone's mind, but it's basically useless, right? So, you know, we, we have to see a good deck list that's consistent enough to put up results. And maybe now is the time, right? Now with Treasure Cruise and Pot are the format, a combo deck can uh, go off in time. I, I don't know, right? But... You know, it, it's up for grabs. I, I'm not sure. We'll have to see what the pros do with Jeskai Ascendancy. Uh, did you wanna? Did you have any thoughts on Jeskai Ascendancy as well? Um, I I think the big thing is that now the deck is much more likely to fizzle. If you try to play the same game as before, where you're chaining a bunch of cheap like Gitaxian probes and stuff, before you were pretty much fizzle proof because eventually you're gonna draw into your Ancestral Recall Treasure Cruise. Now, when you don't have that draw three to hit, you're going to fizzle a lot more often, which I think makes the deck a lot more fair. Maybe it'll, maybe we'll come up with a new build and it'll change completely, but to play it like we were playing it before is going to be a lot more difficult. Yeah, you, right. can't, you can't play it in that style because if you could, that means Storm is viable. And we know how, you know, how much Wizards hate Storm, <laughs> right? So if you can cantrip endlessly, you know, Jeskai Ascendancy would work, but so would Storm, and you know that's never going to happen. Yeah, uh, certainly would have to change its strategy to reincorporate itself into modern and create a new identity. So with all banning and restricted announcements, there's always some market fluctuations. So I have here the daily changes, and we've already seen some Im intense market fluctuations from this announcement. So just to rattle off a couple of the cards that you can find on the daily change tables that are on mtggoldfish.com. So we have Vengevine seeing some increase, Tarmogoyf, Liliana of the Veil, Geist of St. Traft, Twilight Mire, Vendillion Click, and we have some losers, Bloodbraid Elf, Stoneforge Mystic, <laughs> Chalice of the Void, Orzov Pontiff are just the top four. So... Yeah, so some of the things we were talking about in the previous podcast seem to be happening in direct relationship to the banner restricted announcements. So, do you, I'm going to have you both weigh in on that. So, we'll start with you, Richard. Yeah, I just I just want to give you guys some uh, perspective into uh what a big deal this announcement was. So, yesterday was Goldfish's highest traffic day since the Cons Pro Tour, right? So, that's pretty shocking. You know, basically it generated as much interest as the Pro Tour. 
right? Just this simple yeah. announcement of cars that are being banned and unbanned, right? People are trying to figure out, you know, where the price is going and, you know, how things are shaking up. And to me, modern is just so popular based on this data, which, you know, blew my mind. I didn't know modern was such a popular thing. You know, this, this was a really big deal. And in terms of, you know, the actual price movement, it's not surprising that Stoneforge Mystic tanked. It's not surprising that Bloodbraid Elf tanked. People are just speculating for no reason. I'm not sure why people like to speculate on things like this. Maybe it's just like buying a lottery ticket, hope you cash out. You were the one that bought World Gorger Dragon, <laughs> you know, a couple of days ago. You'd be rolling. It's just really odd to me, you know, the, the dynamics and how people are so into the speculation, right? Yeah, it's certainly more intense than just regular speculation of cards and purchasing cards, thinking that they're going to increase. So I'm going to have you weigh on this in on this also, Seth. What do you think? Well, I kind of want to take a little bit of a big picture approach here. A lot of those cards we listed, Liliana, Tarmogoyf, Bob, we're talking about some of the most expensive cards in the format before this announcement. So if you think about it, what happened, like I think yesterday the headline is Modern got a lot more expensive. We took out, by these bannings, Malyrapod, or all the pod variants, which is kind of a mid-price Modern deck. We took out Delver, which is one of the cheapest tier Modern decks, and now we're going to have to pay $800 for a set of Tarmogoyf to play the best deck in the format. So all of a sudden, if you're someone that's not in Modern and doesn't have these cards already, this banning made the format much less accessible if you want to play the best decks. So I think that's something that might be missed in all this. Yeah, all the individual card prices are important and crazy, but in general, the format got way more expensive. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. This is definitely going to shake up some price fluctuations in Modern for sure. Expensive cards getting more expensive, and just the ripple effect of these uh, announcement like this, this caliber, already making changes in some of the outside cards of the format. Like, even Twilight Myers on this list seems like a very uh, obvious choice if people are going to start playing Junk and Jund. You're probably going to want some Twilight Myers. Graveyard-themed stuff already is starting to pop up. So, like, the Boogeyman's gone, Pot is gone, Treasure Cruise is gone. Um, so it's definitely going to be interesting. Yeah, so I had a question for Seth. So you, you mentioned that the barrier of entry into modern is going to go up, right? If Lilian the Veil, Dark Confidant, Tarmogoy are the premier cards, then it's going to be a very expensive format. Do you think we're going to see the same kind of shift to legacy that we saw when uh, the, the fetch lands hit $100? A lot of people were sitting with scalding tarns in their hands saying, wait, I could buy this, this thing for $100? Let me just cash out and get some dual lands and play Legacy. Do you think we'll see that kind of effect uh, with, the, with the new kind of price dynamics in Modern? I think it's definitely possible. I know for me, I played Modern before I really got into Legacy. And once you try Legacy, it's pretty addictive. And at least for me, uh, it kind of overshadows Modern just with what you can do in Legacy. So if the price becomes somewhat comparable... I think more people will take the plunge. And the other benefit is you get cards that are a lot less likely to get crushed in value, like your foil pod deck or whatever you have, by some modern banning when you're owning uh, alpha beta duels and all these reserve list cards. There's a level of safety that you don't have in modern. This is just another confirmation that uh, your modern cards aren't really safe to hold for years and years, unlike legacy cards. Yeah, so we talked about the 
banned cards and what that will do for specific cards. We went through a list and talked about them, but we also wanted to take this time to talk about unbannings. So World Gorger Dragon was unbanned and in Legacy. So Richard, you're kind of our Legacy guy. Uh, what do you think about World Gorger Dragon? And yeah, Golgari Grave Troll was also unbanned in Modern. So I'm going to defer to you for that and we'll go to Seth after. Yeah, so I think it's a good unbanning because the card does absolutely nothing. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know where this hype is coming from. It, it was a $1 card, and it was selling for $30, you know, when it got unbanned. And I don't know why. It's just really bad. Like, of powerful things you want to be doing in Legacy, Gristlebrand is probably way more powerful. Drawing seven cards is practically winning the game. Right. And, you know, sometimes you can actually draw 14 cards with Gristlebrand or maybe even 21. Right. Like the the things you can do with Gristlebrand, I think, are way more powerful than World Gorger Dragon. You know, there, there's some cool, shiny appeal. Like Seth listed a five card combo, which was Stroke <laughs> of Genius, <laughs> Lotus Petal, Lotus Petal, Animate Dead to get you infinite mana. And then you can Stroke of Genius your opponent. But that's a five card combo. A better combo would just be Entomb. Gristlebrand, uh, Entomb, Reanimate, right? <laughs> Lotus Petal. That's a three-card combo, and you get a turn one Gristlebrand, and you get to draw seven cards, and you pretty much can't lose from there. So, you know, it's a powerful interaction for World Gorger, but there are much more powerful things you'd be doing in Legacy. I expect some people to play it, but I don't see this being our, you know, our new Dragon Overlord in Legacy. So I think people are kind of going out of their minds here with uh, these $30 price tags. Yeah, so what do you think, Seth, uh, the two unbannings? Well, my advice is pause the podcast, go dive into your bulk boxes, pull these cards out, and sell them <laughs> as fast as possible, because I think the demand is going to dry up pretty quick. Like Richard said with World Gorger, I think it's cool, and it's a neat combo, but uh, it's not as good as Grizzlebrand. And I just, I don't think that Grave Troll really matters in Modern. Like, when you look at Dredge... Dredge, I think, is a bridge from below deck, and I just don't see the pieces to make a legacy like Dredge deck work in modern. Maybe there's something with Venge Vines and Lotless Trolls that I'm not seeing, but I, I just can't see it being that much better than Stinkweed Imp. So uh, I don't think that it can carry a $10 price tag for very long. People just stop paying that amount for the card, even if it's listed at that. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. A few people on Twitter, like you mentioned, and I even posted this on my article, you know, does dredging two more cards at a time really make a dredge deck, like, that much more viable? I mean, does, we mentioned this before, is eight stinkweed imps, like, that good, or even replace, like, yeah, I guess it's a strict upgrade if you're replacing stinkweed imp with Golgari Grave Troll, but I also posted a deck that has been utilizing these cards, like Bloodgas, Lotleth Troll, Vengevine, this kind of junged uh, scavenge deck that doesn't even run dredge cards. Dredgevine, the deck in Modern, has like been somewhat relevant, but again, it's been a fringe deck, and I don't know if really Golgari Grave Troll like pushes it over the edge. We'll see, but yeah, I don't really think. Yeah, I would I would take Seth's advice and just start grabbing these if you have them and just selling them. I would sell into the hype as fast as I can because we're already tr starting to see a decline in the price of these already a couple of them showed up in the losers actually both of them i think did looking at them yeah golgari grave troll definitely has shown up yeah i just don't see people spending 10 plus dollars on golgari grave troll i mean there was already two printings 
And you said it yourself. I mean, Stinkweed Imp has already been around. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think if Wizards wanted... Wizards doesn't really like Dredge. Like, it's widely viewed as a mistake. If they wanted us to have a Dredge deck in Modern, they would have unbanned Dread Return. That's the card that Dredge needs. So this is this is, just isn't relevant. Like, unbanning Grave Troll isn't what Dredge was missing, I don't think. Any kind of final thoughts on the unbannings, Richard? Uh, no, I think they're both good unbannings because they'll both have zero impact, which is <laughs> <laughs> kind of what you want, right? This card is not relevant. Why is it banned? You might as well just unban it, right? Yeah, I saw a few people mentioning that already. Uh, Golgari Grave Troll had no reason being banned in the first place. Um, so, I mean, without Dread Return, I think Seth nailed it perfectly. We're going to devote some time to respond to a couple of hashtag MTG fish mail stuff. So we have a couple of things that we were asked to go over. So first we have a comment from Hayden Wilcox, and he wanted us to go over the Fate Reforged uncommons, particularly Dark Deal, Wild Slash, and Humble Defector. So... He's asking about foils. So what do you think about these particular cards? Uh, we'll start with you, Richard. Yeah, um, so if you're asking about foils, you're, you're really asking if they're eternal playable or if they're EDH playable. And in my opinion, none of these cards are. They're kind of just questionably standard playable, but I really don't see anyone sleeving these up in a legacy deck. So, you know, I, I wouldn't treat the foils as anything special. Uh, same question for you, uh, Seth. I tend to agree with Richard. Also, if you are interested in these foils, they're pretty inflated right now. Like, once Redemption kicks in in a month and the set's being drafted, none of these cards are Treasure Cruise or Monastery Swift Spear that are just going to take over Eternal Formats. So it's probably safest to wait a bit. At the same time, I noticed today Travis Wu posted a Dark Deal deck for Modern which pretty much is based on mind-twisting your opponent if you can get a Spirit of Labyrinth in play. I don't think that deck's probably good, but it does look pretty fun, and I'm a sucker to cast a mind-twist. Like, there's nothing more fun than taking your opponent's whole hand. So, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I'm going to agree with Seth and Richard as well. I think if you were going to buy these foils, I think right now is probably not the best time to buy them. So, these I don't know if they're going to be translating into other formats. So I think there's like a big question mark on them right now. And with that big question mark, it doesn't really give me an incentive to buy them, uh, particularly right now where we don't even have product rolling in from the shelves and people opening all these cards. If anything, maybe Humble Defector and Dark Deal, but definitely not Wild Slash. I think Wild Slash is definitely just a standard card. But Humble Defector maybe has an sh outside shot, as with Dark Deal. Uh, Seth again mentioned that Travis Wu was kind of brewing with um, a Waste Knot deck that could utilize Dark Deal. I know a couple of people have already posted Dark Deal on articles on different sites, so maybe. But again, right now, it's j they're not as good as Monastery Swift Spear or an Unsoul Artifact, so I'm going to hold off on those. So we have another question by MK uh, at Spellslinger87. So, considering the site is a lot about prices, can you give more price speculations and also why you think cards are going to jump? So, we talked a lot of this about BNR announcements and certain 
cards that are increasing because of the ban restricted announcements. So we have those uh, in that segment. But um, I guess we'll answer this by each one of us has chosen a card that we wanted to talk about increasing. So I'll start off with Richard. Yeah, so I mentioned this card earlier, but I think Whisperwood Elemental is going places. So if you don't know what it does, it's a, it's a green card, a five mana, four, four. At the beginning of your end step, manifest the top card of your library. And you can sacrifice Whisperwood Elemental to, uh, until end of turn, face up non-token creatures you control, and they gain when this creature dies, manifest the top card of your library. You know, we, we've already started seeing price movements on this card. It jumped from about $5 to $12 now. And I think we're going to see this card end up in the 20 to $30 range, which for Mythic means it's going to be the Chase Mythic of the set. And I think this card is actually that strong. After seeing Manifest, you know, being played out in games, it's pretty much drawing a card. You know, if you had a 5-mana 4-4 draw a card every turn in green, it's absolutely crazy. It's pretty close to a Dom reactivation, really. Like, you're going to look at the top card, and if it's a creature, you're going to draw it. And if it's not a creature, you get a 2-2. It's really powerful, and I think we're going to see some standard decks uh, start incorporating Whisperwood Elemental into them. All right, I'll move along on to Seth. Um, yeah, I uh, I wrote a little bit on Friday in a piece about cards I'd be looking for uh, at the pre-release this weekend about Caves of Koilos. I mean, this is the white-black uh, Painland, uh, last printed in M15. There's two things here. The first thing is, there's been some hype on the forums about possibly being like a white-black warrior deck out there, which, uh, even if it doesn't make it in like competitive tournament magic, is going to be something people want to play at an F&M. Like, people like tribal decks. They have the uncommon lords from cons. So there's some options there for a white-black um warrior deck the other thing is if you look at the price of the pain lands you got battlefield forge almost nine dollars you have uh shivan reef over seven dollars land of war waste six dollars even yavmaya coast is almost five dollars and then you got caves of koilos at 250 like it's so far lower than everything else in the cycle so there's definitely room to grow here so if it does start seeing play there's no reason it can't get up to at least yavmaya coast territory so um, it's pretty attractive for that reason. So that's a card I'm really high on at the moment. Yeah, and I'll end it. So Scavenging Ooze, if you just look at the price history of Scavenging Ooze, it was $20 in standard in its standard time, and it came out with two printings. So it had the M14 printing, and then it also had that uh, Steam promo printing uh, where you can redeem codes for buying uh, Duels of the Planeswalkers, right? Is that yep. yeah? I have that right. Yep. Yeah, it was Duels of Planeswalker, and so it was effectively two printings in standard, and still maintained twenty dollars until it was no longer in standard, and it has now fallen all the way down to about five dollars, a little under five dollars. So in modern, this card has already been seeing play because it kind of combats pod a little bit and is seen in these Jund and Junk decks. So at $5, and with all this graveyard stuff uh, looming, and that uncertainty of will these graveyard decks be dominating Modern and Vengevine and Golgari Grave Troll, I'm going to put my bet on Scavenging Ooze. I think it's a very powerful card. It was already seeing play, as I mentioned, already in Modern, and it just seems very cheap at $5 that could easily go up 
once uh, if these graveyard strategies start becoming a thing. That's my uh, that's my take on the MTG Fishmail question. With that taken care of, we don't really have any other others to really talk about. So I guess we will start wrapping things up. Uh, I want to take this time to thank everyone for sending us those questions. And always, you can tweet us here at the podcast and use the hashtag uh, MTG Fishmail, and we will get back to any and all questions that we have time for. So thank you for those who have uh, sent in questions, and uh, we will always take a time in each podcast to answer those. So what is one particular deck that you're going to, uh, that you think is going to be super popular come Pro Tour? Richard? I don't know about the actual Pro Tour, but around Pro Tour time, I think Affinity is going to be like the de facto deck for a lot of people. It's one of the most affordable decks in the format. And, you know, when a format is brand new and open, playing aggro is usually much easier than trying to play any other strategy. So I think we're actually going to see a surge of Affinity decks. And consequently, the decks that combat Affinity. So I think we're going to be ruled by Affinity for a while until uh, people figure out, you know, exactly what the best configurations for the format will be. Yeah, Affinity certainly seems uh, poised to do well. Uh, You wrote about that as well, Uh, Seth. Do you agree or what do you think um, is going to be really popular Pro Tour? Oh, I definitely agree with Affinity being like a default choice, being that probably premier aggro deck and not losing anything. Um, but I also think, I mean, obviously Junk and Jund, we've talked about, we've talked about those already, but I think like the you white red control deck, I think something like that is pretty popular with the pros. They like flexible decks. They like um, decks that give you a lot of options and blue decks. Like that's what most pros tend to head towards anyway. So I wouldn't be surprised to see a big comeback from those blue based control decks. So. Yeah, certainly um, going to be a lot of different decks at Pro Tour. We'll see what emerges from Pro Tour. It's a, a couple weeks off. Um, I think it's the 7th? Uh, yep, 6th through 8th of February. 6th through 8th. So a lot of brewing needs to be done in the next couple of weeks, a lot of testing. Uh, we'll certainly um, see a lot of different things start to come together from these from these bannings and we'll see where modern is going to go what direction it's going to take now that pod and treasure cruise and dig through time are gone and we'll see what kind of impact grave uh golgari grave troll has on maybe creating a efficient graveyard deck so with that i think we're going to wrap things up here and uh any kind of final thoughts here before we sign off for this week uh i'll start with you seth no, I mean, I'm definitely excited to see what happens with Modern, but because of how these bannings go into effect, we have to wait, like, till the middle of next week, I think, to actually start getting deck lists from Modo or any place. So we're kind of in the calm before the storm. So I'll definitely be looking forward to next week to see what decks start popping up in preparation for the Pro Tour. And what about you, Richard? Are you going to be doing some World Gorger Dragon combo and Legacy? <laughs> no, I- I'm actually... I think the net effect of this is I'm actually quite sad because I, I feel that Wizards doesn't know the identity of Modern. I, I feel like, to me, Modern was supposed to be Legacy without a you know a restricted list or without a um, reserve list. But it just feels like, I think Seth mentioned this, it feels like Standard Plus more than Legacy Minus. You know, I don't play Modern, but 
I almost started to play Modern because of Treasure Cruise. Treasure Cruise would have been the card that made me play Modern, but now it's just it's just like bigger standard. And you know, I if I want to do broken stuff, I'll play Legacy. If I want to play a fresh format, I'll play Standard. So where does that leave Modern? You know, I'm not exactly sure. So you know, yeah. it'd be interesting to see how Wizards molds this format. But right now, I feel it's kind of like block constructed, where it really doesn't have an identity and it's just kind of sitting there. So that's my take on Modern. Those are really interesting and valid points uh, from both of you. I think, you know, I, I stand by Wizards' decision in this, and I've said this on my article, but again, it just takes time for this stuff to kind of pan out. Was it a mistake? Maybe, but I think you kind of have to make these mistakes in order to start building a, a, a format like this. I mean, Modern isn't really even that old, and when you compare it to Legacy, I mean, Legacy has been around for so long, and they started... You know, they haven't really found their niche with this kind of modern, that in-between format where it's not quite legacy and not quite standard. I mean, the Axe extended a long time ago, or when modern was announced, and I think it's just still going to take time. They're going to have to see what specific cards are working, what oppresses the format, what can stay, what can go. So I just don't know if this is going to be a positive or negative impact on the format. I understand people are going to be very upset with uh, full foiled out like pod decks and stuff like that, but they have shown their hand, even with the printing of Modern Masters, the first one, that you know they're not afraid to print cards that are expensive or you know that are limiting limiting people to playing the format. Th- this is for a wide audience, and they don't know really how to bridge that gap yet. So I think that's why we're seeing these banner restricted announcements and these uh, modern masters sets because they really want to draw in a, a big crowd to play modern. So with that being said, I think that kind of wraps up everything we wanted to talk about for the banner restricted announcement. Certainly a big uh, announcement in the MTG world. We want to thank everyone again for sending us fish mail stuff continue to do so. And uh, I think that's about it for this podcast. So thanks for joining us on the official MTG Goldfish podcast. This has been Richard of mtggoldfish.com, Saffron Olive, or Seth, as you know him, and myself, Chaz, signing off for the third episode of the MTG Goldfish podcast.